Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCreary, your host, and I'm being joined today by Bob Bunn. Bob's the editor for the Explore the Bible adult commentary. He also is the writer of some of the material that you're looking at that you're using this quarter. So Bob, thank you for being with us today. I appreciate it. You joining us. You've been here a couple of times this quarter. So thank you for, for being with us again today. Always a pleasure, Dwayne. We're going to be looking at session nine, which looks at the at, at Colossians chapter two, verses four through 15. And the main idea here is that forgiveness of sin is found only through faith in Jesus. This is a pivotal lesson uh, in our study of Colossians, because it really focuses on what salvation is and about how we gain forgiveness. Three big points here. Continue, be careful, and remember. Uh, Colossians 2, 4 through 7, we've entitled that section of the, of the passage, Continue. In these verses, Paul expressed an awareness of false teachers seeking to deceive the Colossian believers. He directed them to continue follow Christ with gratitude, just as they had been taught. For us, we are to understand that believers are to remain faithful to Christ and his gospel. Verses 8 through 10, we've entitled that, Be Careful, mainly because Paul warned believers about being taken in or captivated by false teachers who present teachings based on anything other than the gospel. He reminded the Colossians of Christ's full deity and humanity and that their identity was found in Christ who filled them. For us, we can be reminded that we must be careful and we must carefully examine the teachings of others in light of Jesus being fully God and fully human. We'll talk more about that in a minute, Bob. The last section, verses 11 through 15, we've entitled that Remember. Paul explained that outward actions do not lead to salvation, but rather faith in Jesus. Jesus brings life and forgiveness to those who trust in him. He erased the debt of sin through his death and conquered all who seek to claim us. The main point for us is that through faith in Christ alone, we find forgiveness and victory. We've got a lot of issues in here. We've got the issue of baptism, the role it plays the issue of faith in Christ alone. So, Bob, we're going to think through some of those things. Uh, let's just deal with this one right off the bat. How was Paul aware of the false teachers and what they were doing? Well, that's a reasonable question because, you know, we know that Paul had never been to Colossae. He never really visited that church. He wasn't the founder of the church. Uh, so not everybody there knew who he was. Of course, he was in Rome at the time. So it, it makes sense to ask that question, but uh, he did have some connections to the church, even though he hadn't been there physically. Uh, Epaphras, who had come to Christ under Paul's ministry and had gone off and, and founded at least the church in Colossae, if not a couple other neighboring churches, um, he was a friend of Paul. He had a really great relationship with Paul, and, and chapter one indicates that he was probably with Paul in Rome at that time. So if the pastor of the church is there, <laughs> he, can, he can definitely give Paul an update on what's going on with the congregation. One that we haven't really come across yet, 
but we will in the next few weeks is Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus was not necessarily a member of the church at Colossae, but he was the slave of a member. As a matter of fact, Philemon, his, his master, was the one who hosted the church in his home. So he had run away. He had run to Rome. We'll cover that in a few weeks. But uh, he came across Paul during that time, came to, come, came to Christ under Paul's ministry. And he, he probably, even though he wasn't a member of the church, uh, had some insight since it met in the same house that he lived in and, and could have told him that. So there are those connections. And so when, when Paul sat down to uh, probably to write a letter to his friend Philemon, he also felt that he, he, he was going to use the opportunity to write this letter to the Colossians and, and help them address some of the things that they were struggling with. Yeah, the Peck Adam 4 and 13, we have a list of all the names of people that are, that are included in books of Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And it's fascinating to see how many of them are named in Colossians and Philemon mm -hmm. together. Exactly. So it gives us a, a good clue as to some connections. Uh, what, what are the dangers of us focusing on the deity or the humanity of Jesus? So in other words, sometimes we can focus just on the deity, or we may get something may happen in our life, and we may focus just on the humanity of Jesus. Why is it important for us to teach that Jesus was both fully God and fully human? Okay. And I'm really going to answer the second question first okay. uh, about the importance. Why is it important? Uh, and there's three reasons I think that, that it's important to understand and to accurately teach this, uh, Jesus, his humanity and his divinity. First was we claim to be people of the book as believers and as Baptists, especially, we claim to be people of the book. Well, if we're going to be people of the book, we need to know what the book says about Jesus. And we need to teach that accurately. We need to teach it the way he intends us to teach it. And we need to honor him through the way we teach it and honor the book. So that's one thing is that we really can't claim to be people of the book if we just kind of make up things on our own and kind of go off our own way. The second is that we need to remember the church history has wrestled with this for ages. When I was thinking about this question, uh, I actually had to go back and dust off some of my old church history books and some of my old theology books and <laughs> from seminary and, and kind of think through and remind myself just how uh, how vital this this topic was throughout the early years of church history for the really for for the better part of four centuries, the church argued in one way or another through the councils um, what Jesus was. Who and they Jesus wrestled was. with that big time. Oh yeah, I mean it, the, it really kind of came to a head in 451 at the at the Council of Con uh, excuse me the Council of Chalcedon. And so at 451, you think about that, that's, that's more than 400 years after Jesus died and went back to heaven. So, uh, you know, this was an ongoing dispute. And, and there were several counselors before that, that they had to, they nailed down either something about his divinity or something about his humanity. And so this is not a new question for the church. This is something that's been going on for centuries. And, you know, church history reminds us that this is a really big deal. And so we need to understand it well. And the second one is our own personal testimony and our witness to the world really depends on having an accurate perspective on Jesus. Um, the thing that drives a lot of people away from Christianity is because they see a Jesus that isn't real. Um, as believers, either intentionally or unintentionally, whatever the, the, the root behind it, we portray Jesus different than what he really is. I, Dwayne, you're old enough to probably remember the old Stephen Curtis Chapman song, Do They, uh, 
seeing Jesus as he really is, mm-hmm. you know, and I always think about that old song that uh, do they see God as he really is through what they see in me? Same with Jesus. Am I portraying Jesus as he really is? And if I'm not, then I'm not being a very effective witness and I'm not doing him justice and I'm not doing my faith justice. So it's important because of being a person of the book and honoring the Bible and honoring what God says about it because church history and because our testimony really depends on that. Now, having said that, go back to the first part about the dangers. First question, first half of your question about the dangers of of kind of leaning more one way than the other. And, And they're both dangerous. Uh, we talked about the church councils. Part of the reason those church councils came into being and met is because somebody was going too far in one direction or the other. Uh, so let's let's think about what happens if you if you emphasize Jesus' divinity, his godship, too much. Well, then that waters down who he was as a person when he lived here on earth, and you start throwing into dispute or doubt, and you start raising questions about things like the virgin birth, about his incarnation about his death his physical death and resurrection uh his his atonement his ability to actually cover all of our sins through his sacrifice on the cross you do that and there's absolutely no way that he could do he could he could be our savior that way and also the writer of hebrews talks about how he he understands everything that we went through he just went through it without sin if jesus isn't human that doesn't happen yeah and so, you know, you, if you if you lean too far toward his divinity, all this humanity gets washed away, and we're left with a with a very thin picture of who Jesus is. Now, on the other side of the coin, if you look at his humanity alone, then you're causing all kinds of trouble as well, because that downplays his perfection, that downplays his power, it downplays his connection to the rest of the Trinity, the other members of the Trinity. Uh, he doesn't, he ceases to become the unique son of God that John talks about in John 3, 16, one of our very favorite verses of all time gets thrown out the window because he cannot be the unique son of God. If he's just a person, Uh, there's no resurrection because he had to be resurrected by the power of God. There is um, all the things that Paul said about him in chapter one that we studied uh, last week. Those cease to exist because Paul can't say those things. If Jesus isn't really God, Um, he can't intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. He has no authority to do that if he's just a human being. All the times that we see in Scripture where he claims to be God, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, all those kind of things, all of the I am statements, really, they mm-hmm. cease to make sense. If you if you assume that Jesus, or if you lean too far toward Jesus' uh, humanity and forget about his divinity, one of the ways I like to think of it is this. If you, if you focus only on Jesus' humanity, then... He becomes just another created being instead of becoming Emmanuel. He no longer becomes God with us. He's just another guy. And that's not a savior worth following. And that's not the savior that scripture gives us the picture of. It's a, it's a critical thing for us to help folks in our groups understand that if we do not hold to the idea that Jesus was fully God and fully human, then we we minimize our salvation and both of those things are required for our salvation to be exactly he had to be both fully god and fully man at the same time even though we don't understand it he had to be both of those things for us to be able to get where we are with god it's part of what paul determined or defined as the mystery of the gospel Mm -hmm. so exactly I'm, i'm i'm thankful for that mystery absolutely
Paul talks about circumcision here. That can be a sensitive subject for some people. He, he, he also talks about baptism in this context. How do we compare other items that are included in this passage, Jewish rituals, those kind of things, with baptism so that we can make sure that we're explaining what Paul was really saying here? And for some folks, this may be review, but it's, it's probably, not, probably not harmful. It's not bad to go through all that. But circumcision obviously was something that was given to Abraham as part of the covenant that God provided for him, even before the law was, was, was revealed to Moses. Circumcision was a gift to Abraham. And it was a sign that his people, his generations, the ones that would become a great nation, had a unique special relationship with God. It was an outward sign of their inward relationship with God. And it remained that way all the way through up into the first century and into the church era, and until really what we see in Acts chapter 15, the first church council, where the church said, okay, you don't really have to become Jewish to become a Christian, and if you don't have to become Jewish, you really don't have to be circumcised, so we're not going to make as big an emphasis on that as we used to, and so that's when the transition kind of started away from circumcision as a physical sign of our relationship with God to the other part of your question, baptism, which now becomes the physical outward expression of our relationship with God, our witness to the world that says, hey, I'm dying to my old self. I'm rising up to become somebody new in Christ. And so um, that's, that's now what we think of. Now, so when Paul talks about circumcision, and he does use it a lot in his passages, in his letters, he's often talking about spiritual circumcision. And that's what he's talking about here in Colossians. He's not talking about the physical circumcision. He's talking about the peeling away of sin from our heart, an inward transformation comp uh, compared to a physical alteration, if you want to think about it that way. And so he's talking about the forgiveness of sins and having being given a new heart, the new covenant that first started out being talked about in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah and the, those Old Testament prophets. This is the fulfillment of those uh, that we're seeing now. So the problem was in Colossae is that both baptism and circumcision probably were being used by false teachers to be the means of salvation instead of a symbol of salvation, mm. uh, a representation of our salvation. And so it was, it was very much a works-based kind of theology, works-based philosophy. And Paul was very quick and very adamant in his letter to put the brakes on that and say, hey, don't fall for this. Don't, don't, be, don't be deceived, is the word he used in verse 4 of this passage. We shouldn't discredit the fact that that same attitude is in churches today. Yeah, we all have our works-based hang-ups, yeah. <laughs> the things that we, that we carry in. They're not circumcision, probably, and they're probably not even baptism, necessarily. But we, we all have our little ways that we think we have to earn our way into God's favor or earn our way into salvation or earn our way into, we hear, we hear about, oh, well, he certainly earned a jewel in his crown. Well, yeah. maybe, but, you know, we, that means something to us when we say that. And so um, to get beyond uh, that workspace mentality, we really have to renew our minds and really have to start thinking differently and accepting something about ourselves and about what God says about ourselves that, that we don't naturally want to accept but it's, 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 it's the truth all the same. 
we have this idea of faith in Jesus alone, which is what Paul is really getting to at this point. What makes that statement, faith in Jesus alone, so simple and yet complex at the same time? I think about, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, a, you know, I know you sort of are too, as a kind of a history nerd. Uh, I like reading history stuff. And uh, back even before the, the start of World War, or at least the American involvement in World War II, uh, Winston Churchill was asked about the Russians, the Soviet Union, and he described them as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an, inside of an enigma. <laughs> in other words, he was, he says, you know, when I think about the Russians and what they might do next, my, my head starts to hurt. Yeah, and, I, you know, that's a nice way of saying I have no idea. Yeah, a, a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. And so that's, that's sort of how some people think about faith. <laughs> And faith in Jesus alone. It's a mystery. It makes their head hurt. And so they, they do one of two things. They either say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to worry about that because it's too hard. It, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's too much for me. I'm just not, I'm going to ignore it for now and I'll put it on the back burner and deal with it later. Or they say, boy, that's way too easy. That's way too simplistic. Um, you know, there, it's got, there's got to be more to it than that. And both of those attitudes are wrong because truthfully, the gospel is very simple. Um, the gospel is very true. Um, it's not too hard. It's not too simplistic. The entire focus of the Bible really kind of funnels down to three basic truths. One is that we're sinners who can't save themselves and that we need a Savior, that God sent his son to die on the cross to be that Savior, and three, that we can have a restored, a renewed relationship with God the Father if we will accept that sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And it's really that simple. Now, I think where it comes, where it gets difficult for some people, and we just talked about this a minute ago, is how we think about things. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, we just, it becomes hard because we think there has to be something more to it. There has to be a little bit more. There has to be some secret formula. Or, and that was one of the things that the Colossian heretics were saying. Oh, you need a certain kind of knowledge. If you want to be like us, if you want to get to where we are, you have to know the, you know the secret handshake. You have to know the secret code. You have to know the password. And, you know, there's, it's almost like a Rubik's cube kind of thing where you have to be able to put everything together. But, but Paul would say, no, that's not right. Um, the fact is Jesus has done everything for us. And all we have to do is accept his gift. And we can't earn it. We can't win it. We can't do anything to deserve it. We just have to accept it. And we have to kind of get past all the emotional baggage, all the feelings in our lives, all the things that would hold us back and say, you're not good enough, or this can't really work, or it's not really this simple. And understand, yeah, it really is that simple, and embrace it for what it is, and then walk in that truth every day. It's an ongoing battle. It's a daily battle. Every morning you wake up, you're not going to feel saved all the time. But the truth is that, that it's once and for all. It's been done. It's not going to change. And you can walk in that truth and serve Christ effectively through that. This brings me to this last question, uh, which is why is it important for us to remember the work of Jesus in our lives? You've touched on it a little bit in what you just said, because you wake up some mornings where you just don't feel saved right. or whatever. But why is it so important for us to remember what Jesus has done for us through, through salvation? Well, I think there's two ways to look at it. One is what I call the eternal impact. And that's the fact that we need to remember Jesus' work because his work is the only work that really matters. <laughs> you know, if, if we don't remember that, then we don't have any hope. 
And if, you know, if Jesus didn't do everything that he said he was going to do, and he wasn't who he said he was, then we really have no hope, and we're to be pitied above all people. And really, that's how that's how our faith plays out. If if we don't remember all that Jesus did, and all that he accomplished, and the fact that that's all that matters, then we're going to be um, we're to be pitied. We have no real hope that we're standing in. In addition to the eternal, there's also sort of what I might call the temporal or the the earthly kind of perspective on it. And that's the, the old saying is that nature abhors a vacuum. And in our faith, if we forget what Jesus has done, then we, we are going to replace it with something else. We're going to replace it with something, and that something's going to be a cheap imitation. It's going to be a knockoff. Um, like a lot of our, our listeners and maybe some of the people in their classes, uh, I'm working through the, trying to read through the Bible this year. <laughs> and, uh, and so I spent a lot of time wandering in the wilderness with the Israelites and trying to conquer the promised land and all that stuff And earlier in the year. And so, uh, you know, when I think about that, I think about their walk. Because time and time and time and time and time again, Moses or Joshua or some leader, Aaron or Caleb or somebody was going to step up and say, hey, do not forget God. Do not forget God. Do not forget God. Oh, by the way, you're probably going to forget God, but don't forget God. When you go into the land and you start living in houses you didn't build and, and, and harvesting crops you didn't plant and all that stuff, don't forget where it came from. Don't forget God. And what did they do? They forgot God. And they forgot God. They forgot God. They forgot God. And they ended up in captivity in Babylon. <laughs> and, and, and when the northern kingdom was wiped out completely by the Assyrians pretty much, and, and then the southern kingdom went to Babylon. And so, you know, we're going to, uh, they, they traded their relationship with God for chunks of rock, chunks of metal, chunks of wood that couldn't do a thing for them, all because they failed to remember. If you read through the, through the book of Isaiah and note the number of times where Isaiah addressed the issue of you are worshiping an idol that you made with your own hands. And he's really kind of saying, don't you see that's a little yeah. boneheaded? Um, you look at how many times he says that in those 66 chapters. Um, I think uh, we, we may think, oh, well, I, I, that, that's those folks, but we're just as guilty as doing that ourselves. Yeah, we have our own idols. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dwayne, you know, there, when I was in high school, you wouldn't know it if our listeners could see me. You wouldn't believe that I would actually play football when I was in high school. And, uh, and I was actually a defensive lineman for somebody who's five foot eight or whatever I am. And, you know, not that big. I, it's, it's hard to believe, but I was. I was a defensive lineman. And so uh, I learned, I, I can still remember the day that I had a very rude awakening to what is called a trap play. <laughs> you're laughing because you know. Oh. Here's what happens on a trap play for those who don't understand. I was an offensive guard, so yes. Yes, I understand yes. the joy yes. of a trap. Yeah, play. you were the you were the perpetrator of the trap play. Oh yes. Yeah, what happens is that the offensive lineman will kind of give a brush block, just a little token resistance to the defensive lineman, and let him kind of get through get through the line, thinking that he's got a clear path to the quarterback or the running back or whoever it is. Unbeknownst to this defensive lineman, there's a pulling guard or a, a blocking back or somebody who's just ready to knock his daylights out. And that's exactly what happened to me that day in practice. They, they ran a trap play and I ran through thinking I was the king of the world and I got knocked into next week. Now, that's, that's what happens to us spiritually when we forget God. 
we, we rush in and we think we have it all under control. And then Satan has set a trap for us and he just knocks us six ways to Friday. And, you know, the way that you avoid it is the same way that you avoid a trap block. You're careful, you're intentional, you're paying attention, you're disciplined, and you're patient. In the case of our spiritual lives, we are intentional and disciplined and patient about remembering who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And if we do that, we're going to be able to escape what, what the Bible calls the wiles of the devil, <laughs> the fiery darts of the devil. Uh, the trap plays that he would like to throw at us, we can avoid those if if we're intentional about remembering who he is and what he's done. That's a great place for us to finish this conversation today is thinking about that. But before we go, let me remind our listeners out there about Extra. We identify a current news event and describe a way of using that news story to introduce and conclude the group time. The file is free and it works with the group plans in the adult leader guide and leader helps in the adult daily discipleship guide. You can find these ideas on the Explore the Bible website by typing the following in your web browser. GoExploreTheBible.com forward slash leader extras. That's GoExploreTheBible.com forward slash leader extras. Thank you for listening to us today. We hope you encourage other teachers to tune in next week as we look at session 10. Darren Clark will be joining me. We'll be looking at Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 through 23. Be thinking about the idea that the gospel gives believers the freedom to live a God-honoring life.